All the scientists are running around looking for the monkey, but he can't be found because he's down by the pond playing hockey with the kids. And all the mothers are running around looking for the children, but they can't be found because he's down by the pond playing hockey with the monkey. And it's one, two, Welcome to the Bucket Drop Podcast, brought to you by Ruben Brewing. Call Ruben Brewing, and they can deliver right to your home, or they have a parking lot service. Get the best beer that you can get your hands on. So today, I have a guy I met seven years ago in a local watering hole. I was just broken up with my living girlfriend. I didn't kill her. Relax. We lived together. After a few drinks, I was laughing all night long. Since then, we've had plenty of blasts together, including some concerts like Greta Van Fleet, The Killers, Poo Fighters, and uh, a blonde lesbian from the 80s. Uh, th- that was a blonde lesbian that we saw, right, in Jacksonville? Well, it wasn't her. It was him. And uh, you got to go a little punk rock here going to Billy Idol. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> I, I wasn't aware. Uh, since that fateful night, uh, this man has become like a son to me. Uh, he was a member of my wedding party. Al, my pal, the bear. Surely you've heard of him, but don't call him Shirley. Alain Big Al LaBelle, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rob. And uh, I didn't know this because you always tell me that you weren't a goon, but uh, you're part of the 500 uh, PIM Club. Did you know that? I kind of do. I was part of it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, three years in the CJHL, 157 games played, and 643 PIMs to be exact. So what did you try to tell me? Those were all minors? Every single one of them. (laughs) It was uh, a moi, pas ma faute. Yeah, I doubt that. Well, <laughs> if I had known that, maybe I wouldn't have jumped on your back at the condo in Florida. That was a good tussle. Kidding, of course, but uh, just to give the listeners an idea at home, uh, how tall are you exactly? I, uh, I'm going with 5'11". But you're not that much taller. I mean, like I'm five, like nine, give or take. But uh, when this guy shakes your hand, you know that uh, if he wants to break your hand, uh, it wouldn't be very hurt. And also, you like hugs, and you're also a fan of having your spinal cord uh, touch your rib. <laughs> I'm a hugger, that's for sure. Yeah, you're and a I lover. Like, but... I was uh, I was taught well. I was brought up well, and uh, my uncles and my my family taught me that uh, when you shook a man's hand, you gave him a real shake, and it was a sign of respect. Hard to imagine you as a little boy, especially uh, with your uh, your biker facial hair that you're sporting now. But uh, I know you're from Cornwall. Where did you play your minor hockey? And uh, describe your path to the CJHL. Well, I uh, played all the minor hockey, all my minor hockey here in Cornwall. We were the we were known as the Royals back then. And well, started off as the Scotiabank Bears when we were young kids, and then we uh, evolved to the uh, the whole uh, traveling team network here in Cornwall, where the Cornwall Royals and went all the way up the line there I had a good uh, had some great hockey players to play with a uh, couple of pretty good coaches and uh yeah it was all the way up to major midget from there we uh it was a walk on to uh, a local junior AOHL team and uh had a great camp and uh left that uh and went to the CJHL when you say junior AOHL team which team was that well the Cornell Royals so so they were in the OHL still yeah, at that time, at that point in time, they were, because they did go back from the Q, Quebec Major uh, Junior Hockey League to the OHL, but uh, at that point, they were definitely uh, OHL. That's awesome. And uh, 
who are some guys that you uh, you played against in that uh, in that training camp? Matthew Schneider, Rob Ray. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm, the names are escaping me a little bit, but uh, still some pretty good, big names. Yeah, there was some good. There's well, Rick Tabaracci was a goaltender at the time. He's you know he made the NHL. Uh, yeah. Matthew Schneider made it to the NHL, and uh, Rob Ray, of course, made it. And there are other names, but they're escaping me right now. It's been a while. Was it, was it pretty rough back then? Well, I, it was definitely a different game. Um, you know, uh, we were always taught to finish our checks. You know, if you're a defenseman and you went into my corner, we made sure that we would come out with the puck and we might not leave you standing. Were you a stay-at-home D? Were you uh, an offensive D? Well, I'd, I'd like to say that I was all round, but obviously that's just my perception. But, no, I uh, I always uh, – I always my heroes in, defen- in the defensive uh, world – we're always offensive defensemen, guys who took care of the back end, but also could rush and uh, move the puck along and contribute offensively to their team. Bobby Orr was probably my number one favorite hockey player, and then there's a whole bunch of great skaters that uh, did the job. Uh, I contributed uh, whenever I could, um, and uh, you know, my, uh, I, I enjoyed defense also for one reason. We could take uh, boomers from the blue line at the net, and I always loved uh, having a chance at a good slap shot. So all those things uh, contributed to what I appreciated in hockey. Yeah, but, like, I want to give you a bit of credit, but I also think that uh, the pucks that you're using have eyes because you you seem to put them at the right spot when we play pickup hockey. Well, when you close your eyes, I find and uh, visualize where it's going to go. It usually works out pretty good. <laughs> Is that how it works, eh? Yeah. You got a hard shot. You got a hard shot, too. Well, it's what I'm going to say is that everything in life and practice makes perfect, right? Okay. And uh, I was uh, was blessed with a father and uh, neighbors that like to have backyard rinks, and we always had one. And remember one one time in our neighborhood, we took down a couple of fences in different backyards. We made one huge rink, and our backyard was uh, the location for all the neighborhood kids to come and play hockey. So we played a lot of hockey after hours or after school and stuff. And, you know, it was about right in your backyard. But the the cool thing about it is Miguel Leger was one of my uh, neighbors. He was just a young guy. Oh, and, Dele, Miguel Delisle, right? Miguel Delisle, sorry. Yeah, and it yeah. comes back to uh, it comes back to that. I used to line up 30 pucks, and we, we had a big, uh, a big fenced uh, backstop for the net. And I used to just just slam pucks at the net. I just uh, – I. I'd line up 30 pucks and slam them in and do it. I'd do that all night. I'd do that for hours. You know, with practice comes, per, not perfection, but you get better at what your craft is. And I'm sure that uh, that had a lot to do with uh, some of the skill that I acquired shooting a puck. You know, I'm not no Gretzky or anything else, but i just. But that's, that's, that's pretty cool. And like, and Miguel Delille, I mean, like, he had a great career in the OHL, and I, I'd like to have him on the podcast eventually as well. Um, oh, he played yeah. a little bit, bit of semi-pro too. Like, like back then, could you tell that he was going to be a player as well? Well, you know, he like honestly, he was just a young, a young guy. I don't know how much, uh, how many years difference there is in us. There's probably, probably ten or more age, yeah. uh, years of difference. Probably closer to fifteen. But I just uh, used to really enjoy him. He was a little guy, and he, he was just like he's just learning how to skate whenever he first come out. But he always came out. He yeah. always. You know, I, uh, sometimes I'd look out on the rink and he'd be outside all by himself, just a little guy out there plugging away, having fun. He seemed to have a passion for it. And, uh, 
he seemed to enjoy being out there and spending out as many as much time as uh, as he could back there. Yeah. Anyway, we had back then every family had two, three, maybe four kids, and every night we'd have ten or twelve or fifteen guys to show up in the backyard to play hockey. The good old days, eh? Yeah, the good old days. I want to make this a local uh, podcast a bit more. Uh, just bring some local stories. Can you tell me a bit about the Royals? Did they did that impact your hockey career at all? Like, was there some guys that you looked up to playing for the Royals as well? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, watching the Royals play hockey. It was a it was a good time back then. Uh, we'd get full crowds. Uh, my uh, my uncle my my grandfather on my mother's side, uh, Henry Boria, he uh, he would come with us to, to the games. We had booster tickets one couple of years, and my father and my myself and my dad and my brothers uh, would go to the games, and uh, you know we got to know the players quite well and. You know, at that time I was starting hockey as probably, you know, 10, 12 years old. And yeah, definitely, definitely enjoyed watching that. Some good hockey to watch, of course. And who were some of the big names back then? Can you recall? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we had, well, we had Dougie Gilmore fly through. We had, uh, I never heard of uh, him. Dale Howard Chuck. (laughs) Dale Howard Chuck. And uh, Jim Kite was a defenseman that caught my ear because he was a defenseman. He was a huge boy. Um, and he was uh, he was deaf, and uh, that was uh, something no new, way. you know. It brought up a new thing to us because uh, you know he was a competitive uh, hockey player, very good. And to think that he was deaf out there, you know, he couldn't, you know, the the verbal cues that we all get from the goalie or from other players yeah. on the team, he he was able to play at that level and do well. Uh, they heard that he was a monster. He was a giant. He was a big guy. He had to be I don't know six two, six three, maybe six four back in the day. That was pretty tall. Yeah, no he was a four-three wrecking wrist, um, but yeah, we had a we had a lot of good hockey players come through. And like, obviously, some of the names that you're bringing up, they they made it to the Hall of Fame, and so awesome, man. Like, like I wish that I could remember the Royals. Besides that, like, who was your favorite player and team in the NHL back then? Being a Cornwall boy, uh, my father was a huge Montreal Canadiens fan. That's fond, a good man right there. Uh, well, I, I have fond memories of uh, sitting with him. And uh, on the couch and just discussing uh, hockey and what was going on. And he's uh, he can be a really good critic. And uh, he has a pretty good eye on uh, calling what's going on on the ice. And it uh, it opened my eye up. And when I got in, when I was old enough to really uh, get into hockey, uh, we would uh, we would share a lot. And I learned a lot about hockey through that uh, experience. And you know, watching Bob Gainey and Larry Robinson and. Lafleur and all those boys uh, do their thing. It was always a lot of fun. Um, so I, they were when growing up. That was definitely the team. When I, I moved away, went to university, and uh, ended up in Toronto with my first job, my my, my main my main job. Uh, yeah. By by proximity, Toronto became my team uh, because that's all I heard about in the news, and I was familiar with them. And I wasn't I wasn't one to sit down and watch a lot of hockey. To be honest, I I preferred being on the ice playing. So. You know, if I was in the car and I heard the news, sports news, it was normally always about the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I, we had a good. I mean, then we had Gilmore and we had uh, we had sure. Sundin and we had the uh, the coach there um, passed away now, but we had a good group of guys to follow. And uh, Pat fun. Quinn, yes, Pat Quinn, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Pat Quinn was after. Before that was. Um, well, it doesn't matter. Eh? No, it doesn't matter. But whatever. They didn't win a cup, so <laughs> no, they didn't. Yeah. it's been a while for the Canadians to. Uh, oh no! Hey, no, it's the, the last Canadian team to win a cup, eh? Is that right? I, I didn't do the math on that. Is that true? Yeah. Is that just your story? 
No, it's <laughs> too bad that they don't find No, it is absolutely too bad. Well, 1993 is kind of a joke when you think about it. Well, there's a lot of reasons for it, Rob, like we know. And with the expansions of teams into the U.S. and them trying to grow the market, uh, there's a lot of different reasons for that kind of stuff. But yeah, I think there's a little rat. Is is. I, think, I, think, I think there's a little rat called Batman behind it. Mm-mm. Yeah. Well, but anyways, you know, with, uh, with regards, to, like even going back to Toronto, I mean, they have the, the just like Montreal. Unfortunately, they they're going to get a crowd no matter what. I mean, all the club, all the seats were were sold. Season holders, uh, hard to get on that list. And then again in Toronto, same thing. And then you have certain groups. Uh, owning the team, and all the all it's all it's about is profit margin. So yeah. they don't they don't put the product that they should on the ice. They don't spend the money where they should. Some of them they make the wrong decisions when they bring in the wrong guys, and they just don't get it done. So there's a lot of a uh, lot of things working behind the scenes to get that done, and a lot of competition, a lot of smart people, a lot of money out there. Uh, I might as well ask you right now. Um, we're gonna get into your playing career in a, in, in a second, obviously, but. Uh, like, what, what, what do you think of the new NHL? Like, uh, like you know, if a guy ran your goalie, I'm sure he wasn't going to get an easy ride. No, no, that was, like, uh, uh, Garrett, that's that's how the PMs got so high. You know, you didn't yeah. touch my goalie when I was on the ice, but it's a different story. I think it's still, that's still going, but there's a lot less guys that will run goalies because the game has changed. There's no doubt about it. As far as I'm concerned, the game has changed. And with the concussion protocol and with what we've seen happen to guys who were in those situations and at the end of the day, what, what has come of them, uh, there's good reason for it, but I still, I still wish there was uh, more physicality in the game. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's missing a bit of passion. Like uh, one of the biggest news stories of the year was when uh, the battle of Alberta was going on. Um, Like besides that, I mean, you know, they're big, like obviously Ovechkin, uh, Ovechkin with his goals and stuff, but I mean, like, uh, you, you could tell that it makes it makes for good TV, right? Because at the end of the day, uh, these guys are making a lot of money, but it's the entertainment business. Absolutely. I mean, I would, uh, you know, I, I'm with you on that. And the thing with, with the passion, well, you know, the world we're living in now as, as ever. Um, you yeah, know, go back to when, I, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the guys playing in the NHL, like Larry Robinson played in the NHL, whatever, but you had a summer job, you know? I mean, they weren't making yeah. the money they make now. Now they're making money hand over fist. They're rock stars, movie stars. They think that their, their their shit doesn't stink. So they uh, they uh, they have more uh, more of a bargaining position and then the passion doesn't come in. And it's, you know, a lot of guys when they're, you know when their season is, when their contract is coming up, whenever they're going to have, whenever they're going to have to re, uh, re-sign their new contract, you, that's when you know they're going to be playing. For that's when they get 40. That's when they, when, that's when they get 40 goals instead of 25. Exactly. You know, it's a different game. It's unfortunate, but it's it's the way it is, and it's a long season. But uh, yeah, you know, like but, the skill set, the skill set now. I mean, uh, the drills and the eye to hand coordination with the stick handling has definitely gone. And I mean, let's not let's not be crazy here, but uh, the stick technology that they have now, they're playing with boomerangs. It's not. I used to have a I used to have a wooden stick, and uh, I loved it. And uh, now yeah. they got boomerangs. It's like it's like a lethal weapon. And some, I mean, the the shoulder the shoulder pads that they're wearing are made of Kevlar. I mean, they got protection everywhere. And so, you know, there's a lot going on now. I do believe the game is faster, uh, but that's also because there's less body contact. There's less less finishing your checks. There's less of all that stuff, which is which isn't a bad thing. It's just a different game. Actually, I was going to ask you that. Like, I mean. 
I, I got all the time in the world, eh, with this whole COVID going on, so I might as well ask you questions. I might as well entertain myself. So, like, did you find it hard? Like, obviously, this is, has nothing to do with your hockey career, but did you find it hard switching from wood sticks to uh, to one pieces? Well, we, we went through uh, evolution, too. We went from wood sticks to aluminum sticks. We used to just uh, use the use a flame, and we used to take off the bottom of the stick, and uh, we detached them. And then we went to the one stick. And I honestly, uh, I can tell you that with my style of play, even till this day, I don't know that I fully know how to use one of these boomerangs. I don't. I, like, I don't. My so stick, I, I was hoping you. I, thought, I was hoping you were going to tell me. Well, you know what? I, I know that for me, I like. I always like the stiff stick. I mean, I like a yeah, stiff exactly. stick, and I like the lie. I like I like the best stick I ever had that, I, as far as I know, was a was a Sherwood, and it was a. Um, a PMP and a, had a lie of six and three quarters. And that's for a defenseman because when you're standing up taking slap shots, the lie of the blade of your stick stays on the ice better uh, for checking and everything else. But they don't have those sticks anymore. Now, like I, if I go and buy a stick, I look for a lie. I look for uh, the, the flex being at about 100. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me to get a flex, I probably have to use a stick that's like a six, an 85 or an 80. And then, you, you know, you got to learn to flex to, to use that boomerang. And, like I watch kids, I watch some kids that practice sometimes, and you know they're they're 65, 75, 80 pounds soaking wet, but they bend that stick almost in half, and when the puck is released at the end of their blade, that puck is flying. And kids, yeah. uh, kids back in our day could never get that much on a puck, but these kids they got a flex of 55, 50, and they you know 80 pound uh, person taking a wrist shot or a snapshot gets the flex going on that stick and it's a i'm saying like the boomerang it's like a it's a bow it's it's really going and uh it's it's impressive it's a good thing that the glass isn't as low as back in the 60s and the 50s you know in those old barns yeah because uh back then it was uh watching the game at your own risk because oh i I think now it's uh it'd be coming at you like a bullet be scary oh absolutely absolutely and and i think the one thing i was going to say is like um like a guy like austin matthews like you don't even see him set up for a shot. Just the way he releases that puck, it's uh, yeah. like you can just imagine the kids growing up. They're gonna watch this guy, right? And yeah. like yeah. you just imagine the shots. I don't want to be playing pick a hockey with these guys. I'm gonna be just jumping out of the way. Well, I'm with you. When I'm, it's for me, it's like the science of sport. And like I would go back ten years ago, maybe fifteen years ago. And uh, we had hockey games that were like guys, people. The games were being played in the NHL. They're winning. The score was two to one, three to one, two to one. Back in Gretzky's day, it was like seven to one, seven to nothing, ten. It's like high-scoring games. But the difference was the goalies back then they didn't even they didn't do the butterfly, and so no, the guys exactly. were scoring much easier. Their shots weren't even as hot or anything else, but the scores were high. And then you move forward, and the, there was a science of tech, the science of goaltending came in, and they learned to take almost algebra and the uh, the just the degree of angle and approach to a goalie in a net. And the goalies had to think almost math and algebra and uh, angles, and they could protect, they could screen the most part of the net in any given situation. And then, again, the score came down again. That was like two to one, three to one, and the score went down. Now, for me, the science of playing the puck and stick and hand-to-hide coordination is way up. I mean, all these things that they've come up with, the different practices, the with the release, you have uh, passing uh, passing ribbons, and you can practice your uh, your shots on uh, on little tarps, and you can shoot at stuff. And I mean, people and with the with the slingshot hockey sticks now. I mean, the advantage is back on the forward. So 
I mean, uh, <clears throat> we're seeing higher scoring games now, but the goalies have elevated to the main thing. You watch hockey nowadays, the goalies on the on the ice are you sometimes the best skating, tallest kids on the ice. And, man, they go down in a butterfly, and the top of their shoulders are touching the crossbar. There's ah, nowhere crazy. to put the puck. The only time no. you can get a goal is yeah. by uh, a rebound or something in front of the net uh, that bounces around, you know? Obviously, I like the rough stuff, right? But, like, I'm all up for, like, higher scoring games. Like, well, you don't want to go exciting. to the show and not get entertained. So, I, it's, I don't know. To me, it's just, well, absolutely. you know, like, the, when they reduce the size of the equipment and stuff like that, I was all for it. You know, I'm not a goalie uh, myself, but, I mean, hey, you go to a game to see goals, right? And, absolutely. Uh, no, you want action, yeah. Exactly. And uh, listen, you're going to have to give me a bit of a history lesson, but uh, you tried out for the Royals. Obviously, things didn't work out. That's when the Smith Falls came into the story. So uh, how did Smith Falls become the number one option? Well, with me, <clears throat> what happened was uh, I was a walk-on in Cornwall for to try out because I was an okay. area boy. And some guys, I had some people that were in my corner and they liked my, my play. Anyways, I tried out with the Royals and I, I made it through the training camp. I played in the, both the blue and white games. I scored a goal on Rick Tabaracci. I had a little hustle with uh, Rob Ray in the corner of the boards one, one, one game. Uh, had a blast. It was hilarious. I'll tell you what, we went into the boards and, uh, back in the day, I was a real Gino kind of hockey player, I guess. I had the mullet and everything, but. Did, did you wear a gold chain too or no? Oh, definitely. I had a gold chain with a horn on it. <laughs> definitely. Going. Yeah, and my 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 uh, my Gerg, my godfather he bought me a hockey player that I could put a, has a pendant on my gold chain too. Anyway, on that game in the blue and white game, I uh, we went into the corner with Rob Ray and I I took him out pretty hard. Like he went flying, his helmet flew off, his glove one of his gloves flew off, and my helmet I used to wear under my helmet. I used to wear a headband, one of those tennis headbands, and whenever I hit him, I mean I got jolted too, but my helmet came down and it went back up, and the headband went over my eyes. And okay. I couldn't, I couldn't see really. I mean, I really couldn't see. So I had to get off to the bench to uh, get to fix my helmet and my headband. And I remember skating to the bench, trying to reach with my hands to make sure I made it to the bench. It was a kind of a comical situation. But after that, the rest of the game, everybody was gunning for me because they they saw me take out their captain of the team because Rob Ray was the captain of the Corner Royals at the time. No way! After that, didn't even every, know that. Every, awesome. every, every, everybody was trying to take a run at me, but. Luckily for me, I was strong enough and big enough that I, it didn't bother me. I, I, it actually invigorated me, and I probably paid, but I played better because of it. I ended up getting a penalty. I got a coincidental penalty playing the blue and white game with the Royals. Went into the penalty box, and as luck will have it, whenever I came out of the box, it was at center ice, and uh, our team had the puck, and I called for a pass, and he put it up to me, and I had a breakaway on Rick Tabaracci, and I got the score on Rick Tabaracci. One of, our, man, one, of our, awesome. one of our NHL hockey goalies, right? So NHL yeah, goalies. one nice. of my one, one of my one minute uh, minutes of fame uh, times, you know, you know. But no, good for you, man. I didn't even know that story. See, I've known you for a while, and I've known you for yeah. seven years. And I don't, I don't even talk know a lot. Story. I don't talk about myself a lot, right? So yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, but, pretty humble guy. Oh, it's fun. Uh, it's fun. Freaking awesome, man. And like back then, like even then, for the blue and white game, was there a lot of fans for stuff like that? Well, yeah, it was packed. It was oh, yeah. it was packed. I uh, my my father got a lot of his friends at work commenting on the game and they're they're saying it's too bad Al wasn't you know I was a defenseman at the time and being five ten five eleven when uh when I was seventeen they said you know I wish he was a couple of, I look short because I'm my legs are short but my upper body's long and I look shorter than most guys but I took care of the business back in the back end but 
you know, everybody always wanted a tall defenseman back then in the day, especially it yeah. was more imposing, more dominant looking. But I could take a take on a six five or a five foot two guy; it wouldn't matter to me. But I made it to the end of the tryouts, which was great. Last that, that Orville hadn't cut me; he didn't nice. cut me. Um, he wanted to send me out east to play for a farm team, and uh, it wasn't very attractive to me because I didn't know where he wanted to send me. I had no, I had no knowledge of the place. And luckily at that time, uh, Ron Martell was, he was, he was going to be the mayor of Cornwall at the time. And he was a friend of Sean. Sean Martell was a friend of mine I went to school with all, all through, uh, yep. through high school. Anyway, anyways, Ron was the coach of, uh, was going to be the coach of the Smith Falls Bears that year. And he came to me and said, why don't you just come with me? I'll, I'll take care of you. You can, you can play in Smith Falls. And, you know, Smith Falls only a couple hours away. It was a nice, uh, small community. And I have a lot of questions about that. So, like, you had 19 points in 54 games with the Smith Ball Bears in your 1987-1989 uh, season. It started to make you feel old. Uh, <laughs> how old, like, how how old were you back then? Well, I was 17 whenever I I went to uh, Smith Ball. I was uh, I, I just started my grade, uh, I guess my grade 11, uh, my grade 11 year, and I moved to Smith Ball to play hockey. That's cool. So you were the the, the big man on campus back then. Uh, we had a whole team <laughs> playing and going to school. <laughs> there was a bit of a rivalry in Smith Falls, not going to lie. Yeah. They had the, the football team and the hockey players and a bit of a little bit of a, you know, I don't think the football players liked having the hockey players come into their town. There was, there's only a certain limit of late, uh, amount of ladies there. So. <laughs> oh, shit. Hey, yeah. Was it like 9,000 people or is that a big population either, right? No, no. It's a small town, which yeah, is a lot of fun. Like- well, Smith Falls has a history of hockey in their community. They had they used to have the Hershey Bears, it was a senior men's hockey league, and they okay. they had uh, they had a very good history in the league. And you know, there was back in the day, there was, you know, it was like some real slap shot hockey. Talking about slap shot, you also had like 193 Tims. Yeah. Was there a bit of that? Like, I want to stay on the team. I'll do anything. I never created a situation, but I always finished the situation, and in the sense that. Especially in front of my net, uh, if you whacked my goalie after the whistle, if you went after yep. the puck after the whistle, you're gonna get a, you're gonna get, you're gonna have a talking to, and that's where most of those penalty minutes would have been generated from. And for me, it was uh, purposeful and it was worthwhile. That's what yeah, it's all about, right? Protecting your teammates and everything else. Yeah, exactly. When did you become captain of the Smith Falls Bears? Second, the second year we were there, I went back to play in Smith Falls. We had a new coach that summer. I have to say that. Uh, I had a really good summer. I mean, I played hockey in Cornwall with a lot of uh, guys that were OHL. We had a lot of guys in the area. We we played pickup hockey. We had guys that are coming down from college and university teams in the U.S. We had OHL guys like Scott Pearson, Tony Joseph. We played with Ray Shepard, Steve Malte, uh, a bunch of guys from from around the area, and we had yeah. a lot of good hockey. Um, and also, I worked at Cornwall Concrete that summer, and I'll tell you. Uh, working in a brick concrete field, I, I got in pretty good shape. I had a all day, every day. I was working out, lifting up big bricks and making con- concrete and cement and mixing things with a shovel and everything. And when I went back to camp that second year, I was in probably one of the best shapes of my life. I was really in good shape, and uh, it made an impact in training camp. And the coach uh, gave me the C, and I was I was quite proud to wear it. So obviously you come back, right? You come back to Smith Falls for your second year, looking all jacked. So did you make yourself a little girlfriend up there? I had a, I had a, had a couple of little girlfriends. Yeah, of course. You know, <laughs> in small towns, there's only so many things you can do. Some, so many things that can keep you busy. And there was, uh, there was some, there was some fun attractions and there's some fun events. And uh, 
we had we had our puck bunnies. We'll just say, unfortunately, that's what they call them. I, you know, I'm an older gentleman now. I uh, don't want to get into that, but that's all good, man. Because like the the population is what like like you're going from Cornwall like fifty thousand people, right, to like what seven thousand people or thereabouts, right? Back then, it might yep. be up to eight thousand now. Like, was there any like good night spots like the the local places? Like we have our local establishments, La Maison, which is amazing. I know you weren't nineteen, all right. I don't want to get into shit. Were you guys allowed going out, or what was the deal with that? Because I obviously the new NHL is a lot different, right? Yeah, well, you know what's funny is uh, uh, we're gone a lot of the time on the weekends, right? So we're we're playing hockey somewhere, traveling, or playing at home i think our home games were saturday night but uh a lot of the time too though we were away so we're out and about but when we weren't i was uh i i got a job um as a bouncer at o'toole's which is uh was at a hotel right by the uh right by the water there and uh, that was uh one of the places to go i was 17 and i was a bouncer in a nice. in a pretty in a pretty rough and tough uh bar there were some guys i've seen some guys do some pretty stupid things and you know, being underage, I wasn't drinking, of course. Uh, I wasn't part of that, and I was I was under control. I was in pretty good shape, so some, we had some interesting incidents. Did you see any of your teammates go through the bar? Or? There were there may have been a couple that showed up that uh, shouldn't have been, and, and it was hard because you know uh, you're not pulling the plug on them, but you made sure they stayed in uh, in line, and uh, it was a different time, right? So, yeah. Different place, different time. How were the fans in St. Falls? They were good. We had we had definitely had some loyal fans. It was a good uh, little town to play uh, Central Junior Hockey, and I, I, I was spoiled because I lived in a I lived in a four block radius of the rink, my house where I was billeted, and the high school. So, you know, I it was uh, it was pretty pretty convenient for me. Like, were you living with another player as well? My first year, I lived with another player from Cornwall, uh, Brent Lafave. Uh, okay. un- unfortunately, halfway through the year, he got injured, and he had to. He, he couldn't play anymore. He got a really bad separation of the shoulder. In my second year, I lived with the same family, uh, with uh, just myself, without another player. And uh, yeah, it was good. It was all good. They're just it was great. They're great people. And uh, I had uh, for the first time in my life, my life, I had a little sister. I have three brothers. Uh, never experienced having a sister, and I pretty much adopted her as my little sister. And uh, we had a good relationship. That was really fun. That's amazing. That season, actually, you had Freddie Brathwaite between the pipes, and he was probably a goalie just coming in, right? Yep. He had an extensive career in the NHL, nine seasons, I, I believe. Uh, what kind of guy was he? He was a great little guy. He was. Uh, he was all. He had a he had a big, uh, contagious smile. He was a lot of fun. He actually, uh, he actually dated uh, the girl where I was being billeted for a bit, which was a little awkward, but it was okay. It was good. I had to be bad, play big brother, but I was also his teammate. I had to stay within the lines, but uh, he was a great guy. And, you know, you ask about penalty minutes, and that's definitely one of the reasons. He came to us as a, like we were 17 and 18, and he was an underager, uh, and he was he was that good. He was very agile. He was a cat-like reflexes. You know, that's one of the reasons why I got so many penalty minutes. If if he was in net, and he was our number one goalie, if you uh, if you got your stick on him or anything, you're you're gonna you're gonna know that that wasn't allowed, and that's definitely one of the reasons why I got a little penalty minutes. I kind of use that as an excuse for my penalty minutes because I say if I wouldn't have done that, then maybe he wouldn't have had the career he had. But uh, no, he he was a great kid, you know. Not to bring an analogy to the game of uh, basketball, but you know you you hear about Jordan and these other guys when they grew up, they used to always have uh, basketball with them. They used to walk to school, a bit juggling, uh, dribbling a basketball. They always had a basketball with them there. Whatever you say, well, 
the funny thing with Freddie is he he was that guy with a hockey stick with a goalie stick and a puck. He we lived like I said the high school was only a couple blocks away from the rink. And I found this out through the year because I didn't know, but on his spares and then whenever he had free time, he would go by himself to the rink with his goalie stick in his puck, and he would just practice playing with the puck with his goalie stick. And That's he would take shots. Yeah, you know, it's one of those things. He didn't. He wasn't a big schooler. He didn't like school, from what I remember him telling me. Uh, and he really was passionate about hockey. And, you know, it shows when people take those uh, extra strides, do – above normal uh what everybody else is doing it uh it makes a difference and so i think he played with Smith falls for two years or maybe a year and a half but anyway he got picked up real early really young too to go play for oshawa generals and okay. that's where his career started with being a goalie with the numbers and everything else you have to be at the right place in the right time to get the opportunity yeah. that there he did get some opportunities but they weren't you know the best timing for him and the best opportunities for him uh, I know a couple of guys that played goalie in the NHL, and that's what it came down to for them. There was a top goalie. They went to a team, but there was a top goalie, but there wasn't any room because there was that top goalie, and they didn't get a chance to really show what they could do. And, uh, you know, and then there's injuries come in and everything else. But Fred, Freddie moved around. He played for, I don't know, four or five teams. He, I think he had his longest stint with Winnipeg. He was a great guy. Have you ever returned back to the Smith Falls rink? Absolutely. Well, you know, it, uh, it, it it broke my heart whenever they tore down the Bears then. There was an old uh, hockey rink. It was like old school hockey, wooden wooden benches, wooden boards. You know, you could you could reach out to the fans and shake their hand because at some spots where the Zamboni was, there was no, I, you said earlier, you know, no glass. You know, you could like literally stand there and have a conversation with them. It was that kind of rink. Maybe yeah. fit a thousand, two thousand people at the most. I don't know. But it was a really nostalgic rink. Anyway, they tore it down, and they put up a new community center. And one of my buddies took me there, a uh, good friend of mine. Uh, didn't tell me, but he took me there. And uh, they have uh, they have a cool thing going on there around the walkabout up top. They have, like, a little walking uh, pace uh, track. And they put up pictures of all the guys that have played in the arena. That's cool, and, man. Uh, Freddie, there's a big picture of Freddie Brathwaite, and there's a picture of me there as a the captain of the team, which was That's cool. cause I, the year I played with him, and it's up there. Yeah, it made me feel pretty good. That so when, 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 are we, when, are we go, when are we going to take a little road trip and check that out? Yeah, anytime, but uh, you know I'm in. <laughs> yeah, awesome. like, you, you know, it kind of, like I never played the, the hockey that you did, but like uh, kind of makes me think of the side mirror a, a little bit. You know, uh, just the smells of that arena, you know, and like the history mm-hmm. that was there. A lot like the Bob Turner. Oh, exactly. But you know the side Miller, eh? Mariska Schall, uh, he found out that he had his first daughter there. Oh, and yeah. um, so I, I know we're not here to talk about other players, but who would be the best guys that you've played with and against? Because we've been talking about Freddie for a bit. Steve Pops is a Cornwall boy, played for the Smith Falls Bears. Uh, he ended up going to college in the States and ended up playing in the NHL for many, many, many years. Had a great career. I played with a lot of great hockey players, obviously. Uh but uh, for me, one sticks out, uh, and it's a guy named Mike Maurice. Well, I played with him when I played for the Wolfrid Laurier Golden Hawks, and he was a captain, and he was a good leader, a leader by example. His work ethic on the ice was amazing. He skated like the wind, uh, had amazing uh, eye-to-hand coordination, stick handling, and, and knew how to put the puck in the net. If we needed a goal in a game, he was the one guy that we knew we could put on the ice, and he'd he'd get her done. Uh, he was yeah, I would have to say Mike Maurice. That's pretty cool, man. And uh, do you know where he ended up playing? Um, I think he went. Ended up, he ended up going stateside, playing in the AHL, like a lot of guys did from college, from university. You know, I played with with Larry Ruchin, 
which was the brother of Steve Rushen. Steve Rushen played for Western University. He ended up in the NHL. He was a walk-on, and he ended up playing. You know, there's a lot of guys that uh, were really good hockey players that played. It. But, yes, Mike, to answer your question, Mike ended up playing AHL and uh, different uh, teams in the States uh, in, this, in their, I guess, the uh, senior hockey, men's hockey league. That's pretty cool. And, like, like I went to Ottawa U, obviously, and um, I never thought about trying out for the G's. And obviously, I wouldn't have made it. But like, how would you compare the university level of hockey in comparison to the CGHL and uh, the other hockey that you play? As far as I'm concerned, uh, university hockey in Canada is an underrated, underappreciated uh, sport. We are all now dealing with men. You know, we're we're in our 20s. We're 19, 20, 21. We're, we're we have man strength. We're it was there was a lot of a lot of strong guys, a lot of fast guys. You're dealing with men. You're not playing with teenagers like a junior. And the speed and the quality of hockey was very high. The coaching <laughs> was very technical. Uh, the coach that we had, uh, Gowan, he was uh, he ended up working with Team Canada for a while. So the the level of uh, you know knowledge of the sport and uh, just teaching and training. We we had a practice for an hour and a half every day, and we had half an hour of off ice training every day, and we played on the weekends. So it was really good. It, it, it forced you to be disciplined because you're at university. Uh, we were gone most of our weekends, so we weren't up to tomfoolery. You know, we had fun with the guys. And during the week, you know, you had your classes. You had 30 plus hours of classes, plus you had two hours of time that you had to dedicate to hockey. And you know, we got we had benefits. We didn't have to worry about equipment, sticks, skates, uh, clothing, even under our equipment. Uh, they they hit us up with vitamins and. We'd have our meals with them, pregame meals and after meals. They'd take care of all that stuff, hotels and everything where we went. My One of the, my best uh, trips was uh, with uh, Laurie. We went to um, play hockey in uh, in Alaska, and they paid wow. an all-paid trip. All-paid trip, went to play in, uh, in the Nooks. We played uh, against the Nooks. It was, a, it was a whole show. They flew us all the way there, flew us back, awesome. had a couple of games. Yeah, it was a big deal. It was a lot of fun. Three quarters of the team that we're playing against were Canadians. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, Russell Crowe wasn't playing. Not at the time. No, he uh, he was. <laughs> I think he was out filming a movie or something. Filming Gladiator. Exactly. Now, uh, obviously, we're jumping back and forth, uh, but like I went from Smith Falls and I didn't go into uh, your Messina Turbines uh, period. So uh, the following season after leaving Smith Falls, uh, this is before your university period and all that. Um, you upped your PIMS by quite a bit, and your production also increased to a whopping 43 points in 48 games. So what the hell happened? Like, why did you leave Smith Falls, and why the heck did they let you go? I decided at that point, I, I had graduated high school. I was done. Quite honestly, at that point in time, I wasn't sure which direction to go at university, and I decided to take pretty much a year off. Had a great place here in Cornwall, an apartment uh, my parents supplied. Went to Messina. Had I enjoyed that tremendously. It's a... Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, the PMs and the contribution, well, that was my third year in the league, and uh, I was a vet, and I demanded respect out on the ice. Contributed uh, offensively, and, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was a great time. I enjoyed it a lot. I hate to pry, but uh, any funny fighting stories from, from those days? Oh, my goodness. I have, Honestly, you'd think you, you'd, you almost think it wasn't real, but it was... Uh, we had a referee from we uh, growing up. We had this referee. I won't name names because there's probably people that have him on a hit list. But he was terrible. And even in our little minor league hockey, we had him. He grew up and he got better. And somehow he made it to the CJHL level and carried covered the area. 
Anyway, we were playing in Messina one night, and uh, he was the referee, and he kept calling penalties. And guess what? The penalties were all against us. It was not a one-way game. He wasn't calling it one way. He just he just had it in for people from Cornwall in the area. Like, honestly, I don't know what it was, but we all felt it. And it got so bad to the point where, you know, somewhere in the second period, uh, our assistant coach that I said, Listen, this is, I had enough of this. If this guy calls another penalty against us, I'll pay anybody that hits him with a puck 20 bucks. And, like, we're Canadians. They were 20 bucks U.S. That's that's worth a good little pinch. I could do that. Anyway, just so happens the next shift I'm on the ice, lo and behold, the referee's hand goes up. He's getting ready to call a penalty. The puck's in our end. It goes around our net. And I could have touched it before it went behind our net and out. But I let it go behind the net, and I skated behind the puck, watched it come through, and I took a slap shot at him. Well, he did his best. He avoided. He did the old uh, referee jumping up on the boards and turning their butt towards the ice to protect mm-hmm. themselves. Well, I picked him off right in the rear end. And uh, it was a slap shot moment because we were all laughing. Uh, we Everybody knew it was obvious that I was trying to hit him. And I went over to my bench, and I gave everybody a high five. And I didn't even bother looking at the ref. I just skated over to the penalty box because I knew I was going to get some PMs. But that was uh, that. I was it's funny. I was out the other day, and my mom was actually telling that story to somebody, and it reminded me of it. I was like, laugh. Just have to laugh, right? It's a stupid thing to do, but you gotta have. You only live once. You gotta have fun. Definitely. And you were also telling me the story about when uh, some friend's parents right up against the glass. That's another funny one. But I was playing for Smith Falls. It was uh, probably my first year. I'm not sure. Um, and uh, we're uh, we're playing Canada Valley Lasers, which is close by, just in Ottawa region. Anyways, I had a buddy, Danny Hughes, uh, that played for that team. I went through minor hockey, played with him. And Kevin O'Brien played for that team, too. Anyway, we were playing against them and ended up in front of the net. And one of these bozos from their team, he's known in the league to be an aggressive player that liked to, liked to throw punches. But anyway, he was sticking the goalie after the whistle. And obviously, that doesn't sit well with Al. We we dropped our gloves and we started going at it and I popped his helmet and got him going and I was I was filling him in just hitting him left and right and we, we got to the point where on the boards on the ice on the glass and on the other side was the uh, was the confectionery area where everybody goes in and if they want to stay in the warm they watch the game from there well I could see from the corner of my eye my peripheral vision I could see a lady and a a, a girl with their eyes wide open. And their mouths open, and they're just looking in awe at me like I'm a monster. And I turned to look to see who it was, and it turned out it was Mrs. Hughes and Anna Hughes, and Dan's sister and mother. And they're looking at me like I was a monster. And I felt, I felt this, I felt little, little, eh? but had to do my job, so I finished them off. And anyway, like in junior, when you get in a fight right away, you'd get thrown out and you end up going to the showers. So I'm in the shower, I'm de-stressing or decompressing from the fight. And uh, lo and behold, Buddy from Canada Valley Lasers walks in the room, and I'm in the shower naked, just getting over, getting getting ready for after the game, and he's yelling at me in French. I call this bear you, huh? When we fight, bear, hey, you take off your helmet, huh? When we fight, you take your helmet off. We don't do what you do. And I was like, at this point, I just couldn't believe this idiot. Now he come in, he's bleeding from the nose, got a black eye, he's swollen already. And he's coming in telling me that he's mad at me because I didn't take my helmet off. Well, I didn't. I didn't read the rules of uh, that. I know in 
in the big league, uh, you said to take over to center ice, take off your helmet. But this was uh, something that happened uh, abruptly, and I didn't take oh, my yeah. helmet off. It wasn't stupid. I popped his off with my fist, and then I continued to berate his face. But anyway, I had to yell at him. I told him, listen, bud, if you don't get out of the room right now, I'm going to finish you off, and there's not going to be anybody to separate us. So continuing swearing in his broken French English, he uh, he walked out of the room. I couldn't believe that, though. I mean, who does that? He's a nutcase. Oh, Al, you can't teach uh, French people like that. That's not nice. <laughs> well, my name is Alain Labelle, isn't it? I'm just messing with you. I'm French. Yes, yes, I know. And um, i got to ask you, like, obviously, uh, you know, when when you're getting older and stuff, in, in one of those leagues like the CJHL, obviously, you command respect. And uh, do you think, though, that, like, playing a rougher game allowed you to be a better player, like, simply by getting a bit more space on the ice? Well, definitely. I mean, uh, you know, you look at guys like, uh, well, look, 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 look at Lindros with his reach and his strength and his height. Even yeah. Mario Lemieux, their reach, their strength, and their, stri- their stretch. And, uh, you know, they, it, it's something that definitely gives you an advantage. If you go into the boards and you want a puck and you're bigger and stronger, you're going to come away with the puck. So, yeah, there's definitely some physicality to you. And there's guys like uh, shied away from uh, smoking into the boards and stuff like that. Like I said earlier, I think I said, uh, you come after me and you take a whack at me, you usually invigorate me. So I'm, uh, I am I don't react with a tear. I react with anger. So that's just if it's brought on, right? If you feel like you're trying to hurt me, then it's going to go on. So, yeah, there's. I grew up with three brothers. Uh, I might have got a little bit of toughness out of it. Yeah, you took your lickings and uh, you gave your lickings. Yeah, absolutely. And back when you played, I mean, uh, you were talking about Rob Ray, obviously, that he was captain of the Royals um, when you went to training camp. In the CGHL, like, was there some true badasses? Like, was there, like, some designated tough guys per team? Well, you know what? I have to say that uh, Hawkesbury brought that in. I'm trying to remember who it was. There was a coach that coached here for the Ace to Comets, and he ended up a coach in the uh, NHL. And right now, I'm not thinking of his name. I'd have to hardly, have, or hardly, hardly, or? hardly okay. yes, hardly. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. he coached in Hawkesbury, and he definitely had his bruiser. He had he had a big monster play on his team, and he definitely commanded. Uh, he, he he brought he brought that whole league to a different level. Hardly did. Okay. He had his uh, he had his line of French assassins there on the uh, snipers on the front line, and he had his uh, he had his goon on the bench. He had. It was one of the first teams that I saw in the league that had an uh, an official goon. No, that's hardly. Back in our day, we all want to be the complete player. We all wanted to be the tough guy. I mean, some guys could carry themselves better than others. Like I'll tell you a story about a guy. The best fight I ever saw. There are two, but I'll, I'll throw I'll throw uh, throw Scott Connick out there because Scott Connick uh, is a Cornwall boy, great guy, big heart, super guy. You know, I played with him in Saint Falls my first year, and when we we're playing. Um, uh, anyway, it was an Ottawa team, and uh, he got in a fight with a guy. And it's the first time I've ever seen this in life. Uh, and I've seen it after, but it was through a contact with a shoulder blade. But okay. I, he knocked. He, he was punching a guy, holding him up, punching a guy. And he punched him once, and he knocked him out. And he didn't even know that he had knocked him out. The guy was out cold, and the referees had to jump in because we still pounding him. He was a tough guy. So he, he was, was holding him guy. up. He was holding him up after he knocked him out. He didn't realize it. <laughs> you know, when you go in a, you get in a fight, you're a little, uh, you go in blackout just a bit, right? You're just going to get your job done. But he was That's strong true. enough that he, he hit him and he knocked him out and he was holding him up and he was still out. <laughs> but we played uh, Kingston Frontenac and it was during tryouts my first year, actually. And there was a local Smith Falls kid uh, named Mac Thurston. 
anyway, uh, he was there, and he, you know, he he was an okay hockey player, but his skating wasn't, you know, really up to snuff. But he was ready to try and make the team at any cost. So he decided. Kingston was a pretty good team in the day. There, there had some tough players. They're known for to be pretty rough. Anyway, we're in tryouts, so he wants to prove himself. So he decides he's going to go somebody. Well, we're watching this fight, and they're both these guys. They're getting ripped up. Like their faces are getting shredded. There's blood flying everywhere. They're getting shredded, and uh, we're all like, "What is going on here?" And they kept they they went toe to toe for like a good twenty thirty punches. They just and they're both making contact on each other every shot. They didn't put each other down. They ended up gassing out, and the refs went in and took them apart. Come to find out that Mac had two rings on, and the other oh, guy had a shit. ring on too. They not only taped their wrists solid, but they were also both wearing rings. They both wanted to do damage, and they were wearing rings. And we're like, we have, you know, we lost. Honestly, he lost respect because that's, that, that's it's, cheating, it's, yeah. it's not it's against the code, right? That was probably in the old barn eh, by the water, obviously. It was in Kingston. Um, it was uh, I, I. You know what? I can't even. It recall. had to. It had to. It had to be the old barn, though, because like it, it was definitely before the Cater Rock. And uh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say they weren't in our league. We was just a a preseason exhibition game, and because we're in Smith Falls, Kingston's you no know, just down the block. So that's one of the reasons why we played them. But yeah, old rink. Man, it's uh, it's been great to have you on. Man, like, do you have anything else that you, you you'd like to add? I know you're uh, you're expecting some big news shortly, and uh, it's coming, you know, man. It's coming. Just praying. I'm looking forward to that. And for, Uncle for, Al, eh? That sounds yes. Cool. I can't wait for for the yeah. little one to meet Uncle Al and tell you you can put me in for uh, babysitting services anytime. Yeah, you can't hug him as hard as you hug me though. <laughs> that won't happen. Uh, taking care of my two boys in diapers and. Uh, yeah, it's not a problem. I'm good to yeah, go. Yeah, I, I was talking my, to my brother about that today. Actually, we we're talking about diaper changes and stuff like that. I, I ordered a big uh, load of uh, uh, gloves from uh, from Amazon, so I got like about 150 gloves. Uh, and I got uh, nose plugs too. I got about 50 <laughs> nose plugs just in case I lose a pair because uh, uh, I'm I'm a gagger, you know, and uh, I, that, that probably doesn't sound very good, but anyways. No, I know, but it's gonna. It's uh, it's like that video where they put the baby powder on the kids and they're they're puff, they're puffing out the air. Uh, yeah, I would look for that. That would be good. You got to set up your uh, your cam, and uh, I want to see some gag videos there from you. Did you find? Did you did you get used to it though? Changing diapers? Did you find uh, uh, that was absolutely. easier? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't. I mean, I didn't look forward to going into it. I didn't know. I wasn't prepared for it. I'd never done it. But once you're there, you're there. I had a record, I think, one time we were at the cottage with two boys and everybody had left and gone and they left me there. I had the two boys and by the time from the morning till noon when they got back, I had changed 14 diapers. It was a record-breaking uh, snowball fest. Holy I used to shit. say, I used to say, I'm going to build a rubber room and I'm going to put the kids in the rubber room and anything, anything happens, I'm just going to take a hose to them. Uh, I don't have to pay for diapers. I'm just going to put a big drain. Just get the hose on them and we're done. <laughs> I just like I know it's not funny. I don't want to laugh about the the whole virus thing, but I think I'm just gonna drive around in a hazmat suit, you know, like with the gloves and with the boots and all that. You know what I mean? And people won't judge me because with with what's going on, right? But I'm just gonna yeah. wear just to be ready to change diapers. Well, it's funny because uh, you're saying that with the hazmat suit. It's I've we've seen videos of people walking around, walking their dogs, and doing things, but. Uh, it makes me laugh. I think it's out of levity they're doing it, 
some people said, oh, they're wearing, he's wearing his T-Rex suit, you know, a guy wearing a T-Rex suit, the dinosaur, walking his dog. I think it's because he's trying to sell Pfizer. He was trying, doesn't want to get germs. Well, I don't think that machine, that, that costume was built to prevent him from getting virus, but I do think it's hilarious and it creates levity in times like this. We need a little bit of levity. We need a little bit of uh, something to laugh at. So I, I find it quite hilarious. So I enjoy yeah, that's that. Why, that's why I decided to the, do the podcast tonight. You know what I mean? Like everybody's all serious and everybody's all you yeah. know, stressed out and whatnot. And, you know, like with, with good reason, obviously, but you know, you, yeah. you, you, we got to take advantage of this time too, you know, like uh, yeah. you're staying inside, but you know, like you're uh, getting reacquainted with, uh, you know, your family, with your parents, with, uh, with whoever, you know, like, uh, you know, yeah. it's, when, when do you have time to just hang out with your loved ones? Yeah, absolutely, Rob. It's, you have to have a plan. Yeah, once you have a plan, pe- people are uh, that don't have plans are insecure and they don't have the process uh, thought out. There's uncertainty, and that's where the anxiety and everything else comes in. But if you logically sit down and think it out and uh, make a little plan, have ideas yeah. about this and that, what you're going to do, how you're going to pass your time, um, you know what? It's uh, it's a great thing. It's it's funny because I saw a meme the other day about a during uh, during regular times, uh, people are. Uh, you know, when we didn't have COVID, when we didn't have this virus virus going around, people were always, you see four people sitting in a room and the four people have their phones out and they're looking down at their screen. But right now that we have COVID, you actually see more people outside enjoying the sunshine. And so oh, like, sure. it's the reverse effect. <laughs> exactly, man. Are you ready for the interrogation, my man? Because I, I, I've been holding you on the phone for like about two hours already. Wow. That long, eh? Yes, sir. <laughs> Okay, so Al, what's your favorite hockey song? Um, I like my uh, the pregame Thunderstruck. I love getting warm up done to Thunderstruck. Taping your knuckles there, getting ready to that song. <laughs> I never favorite? taped my knuckles. Some guys needed to tape their ankles when they skate. I didn't. I never needed tape for anything. My ankles or my wrists. Oh, I gotta tape all, my ankles. Oh, natural. Oh, natural, my friend. Oh, I gotta tape my ankles, my wrists, <laughs> everything that bends. So, what's your uh, favorite sports movie? Hockey, I have to go with Slapshot because we're talking hockey, and I could watch that. I could watch that movie once a week, right? Oh, my eye on the three, you guys. You put one thing, you're out of this game. I run a clean game here. I have any trouble, I'll suspend. I'm looking at a fucking song. It's Talk a classic. Me. Like so, so when that comes on the TV, you're you're gonna stop everything you're doing and just watch it. Uh, if not, stop it. I'll set my PVR and it'll be there at my convenience. What's your yep. pet peeve in hockey? Well, my pet peeve in hockey is after the whistle goes and you're in front of my net, and this this answers for the accumulation of PMs. If you slap off at the mouth too much, you're gonna have to do something about it. I could never put up with guys after the whistle that I always wanted to trash talk. I'm not a trash talker. I don't care. You're going to open your mouth after the whistle blows, and you're going to look at me in the face. I'm sorry, but you're going to get something back, and it's not going to be words. It's going to be something in your face. I just couldn't put up with that. These guys these, these guys that were 115 pounds and yap off, and uh, I didn't go at them, but, you know, all these guys after whistle, they've hit the goalie. They come in. They want to, they want to push people around and stuff. You're not going to push anybody around. You're either going to drop your gloves or let's get on with this. We're here to play hockey. You know, one of the reasons I completely, like, relate to that, too, is because I'm a horrible trash talker. Like, I'm terrible. <laughs> well, I I'm, I just, I can give them the time of day. And most of those dumb asses don't deserve my time. So yeah. I wouldn't even and, give them, I won't even give them the effort. And what's your pet peeve in uh, regular life? Silly as it sounds, whatever, it's people that are inconsiderate of others. People that walk in front of other people in line. People that turn at a single light and don't put on their single. Simple little things. 
people that are inconsiderate, it drives me crazy. You go through a drive-thru and person says, hi, it was really nice here, and you don't even look at them in the face. You just throw your money at them, and you, and you drive off. Like people like that have no personality, and they're inconsiderate. I don't need that kind of person in my life. And uh, one thing that I, I find with this whole uh, COVID thing that's going on, it's going to make people appreciate that, too, you know, like, um, people that are working grocery stores and stuff, you, you, you know, like you're not more important because you got a better job. And uh, to me, like I was brought up that way that there's no one that's better than anybody else. It kind of brings humanity together a little bit. No, absolutely. Well, hopefully, you know, end result, you see people posting stuff, kind the people that are doing kind things, uh, yeah. you know, giving care packages to people that are in need, uh, people offering stuff for free online. I mean, uh, it's it's amazing. And those those people really... That are in a, the people that are in a position to do that, that can do that, and they do do that. It's it's, it's awesome. And like uh, obviously, I like to volunteer, but I'm also uh, notorious for doing the absolute opposite. Uh, like when I went to your house the other day and used your washroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, but I, I, you know, I had no idea. Uh, you know, you could have used a couple of uh, a couple of like a couple of layers, but you know, to use half a roll of toilet paper, like that was pretty. I think you put some in your pocket and walked out. Like I, oh yeah, I, I, I was you lost. I, I, you lost a little respect for me, bud. I was <laughs> going to give you a full roll for Christmas, bud, but uh, now I'm I'm I, holding that back. I blew my nose and everything. I just I just used that <laughs> roll up as much as I could. I felt like a king, you know. Well, um, I, I'm not I'm not a TP hoarder, and I'm not a proponent of TP hoarding. Uh, I, uh, I I'll be able to take care of myself regardless. I got a lot of singles uh, white socks laying around here, so. I could put them to good use. Yeah, as long as you don't say a Habs jersey. I wouldn't do that to any NHL jersey, bud. And uh, Against the code. Yeah, for sure. And uh, if you win a lottery, um, this is uh, we're still in the interrogation. Obviously, I'm talking with a good buddy, so it's hard to get through it fast. Am I doing a good police work or what? You're doing awesome. So, uh, how would you spend your first million if you won the lottery? As given the time and given the the place and everything where we're at, I would put a nice big chunk away. And we would have the best St. Patrick's Easter May May Saint May the Saint-O party uh, when this is all over. I'd get all my friends and all my family and all my loved ones. We would uh, we would uh, dance the night away. That's a good answer, man. And uh, speaking about uh, Cinco de Mayo and whatever else, if, <laughs> if you could have a drink or a coffee with anybody, uh, any celebrity, actually, I should say. Well, you know, you're talking celebrity, so it's it's it opens it up quite big. But I, you know, honestly, I uh, I worked many years in the foreign currency exchange business. I was a director of a trading room. Yeah. And if I had, if I could, if I could pick somebody to pick their brains and sit down with, yeah. exactly. I, I would love to sit with George Soros. He's a uh, he's a uh, elite trader. Uh, he was elite in FX world. Almost like a Warren Buffett, but in the uh, foreign currency trading world. So, yeah, I'd, I'd have to hit George Forrest up. Unfortunately, it could be more interesting. could have said a lot of other things like Marilyn Monroe, but I didn't go that way. I want to be loved by you, just you. Nobody else but you. I want to be loved by you alone. I'd like to party with Elvis, you know? Like I'd like to like put on a you know an old leather suit. Or Andre the Giant. Now Australian Octomania is over. <laughs> hey, how about getting your how about getting your foot off my shoulder? Well, that'd definitely be unique experiences, there's no doubt about it. I think I'd be under the table pretty fast. Talk about a guy giving you a hug or shaking your hand under the giant. <laughs> 
would pulverize anything and everything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, with, with regards with his, to Elvis, yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I'll be serious and I'll be honest. I, I watched the series. Doc, I watched a documentary about Elvis, and you know, I was let down. Um, I, I wasn't let. I wasn't let down by him. I was let down by his handlers. I was let down by his entourage. I mean, uh, he had the the world uh, by the gonads. We all thought he was the first rock and roll, real rock and roll star. But uh, the his manager really uh, really took advantage of him. Uh, <clears throat> when Elvis died, he was pretty much broke, uh, and he was addicted to all kinds of pain medication, which has happened to other stars. And uh, he, unfortunately, he should have lived a long, glorious life with uh, the amazing gift that he had. And unfortunately, he ended up wrong. But, um, you know, yeah, it would have been interesting at the beginning of time with him when he started his career going and going and seeing everybody in uh, the crowds. He was the first one to uh, have crowds like they, he had. And, yeah. Yeah, it, was, uh, it would I'd, have been amazing. I'd just like to sit in the jungle room, you know, jam with him. That'd be, that'd be pretty cool. Oh, uh, he, he, he had an amazing voice. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what's your favorite rom-com? Well, I would go with, uh, I just uh, off the top of my mind, Sleepless in Seattle, just because of that scene with Billy Crystal and uh, whenever she's uh, she's there in the restaurant and uh, he's telling her that it's impossible for a woman to fake an orgasm and she uh, lets off. And, and uh, that's pretty, it was pretty hilarious. It's a romantic comedy, a rom-com, is, uh, is that seems uh, classic. Most women at one time or another have faked it. Well, they haven't faked it with me. How do you know? You don't think that I can tell a difference? No. Get out of here. Yes! 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 Oh! 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 Oh, God. Oh. I'll have what she's having. She was gorgeous, man. Like, I know uh, she yeah. still is, but I mean, she was, uh, yeah, she was yeah. dynamite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure song, my friend? My guilty song, Pleasure. Well, you know what? I have to go back to, you know, you make fun of them already. You called them a lesbian or whatever you called them. Um, I was just kidding. Bill, I know. Billy Idol and uh, Dancing With Myself. <laughs> Is that something you often do, dance with yourself in the shower? Or what? Well, not in the shower, bud, but I remember when you got showered on, the time we were watching them in concert and that woman passed out right in front of us. <laughs> And I decided oh, I decided I was going to pick her up, and I got the top end. I got her by the shoulders. We're 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 being responsible social activists. I so know. We carried her to the front of the line, pushed everybody out of the way, got her over the fence, and only to come to realize that you had her legs, and unfortunately she had showered all over you her urine. I got peed on. I got peed on. <laughs> You yes, know, sir. when you're that close to the stage, there's not much you can do. So I, I don't know, man. But <laughs> I got to ask you one last question before I let you go. So I know this has been the longest interrogation that I've done. You're given a cottage, and you can place that cottage anywhere in this world. Where do you place that cottage? My first answer would have been Hawaii. But then uh, I thought maybe an island somewhere. But I think I'd go with Hawaii. Oh, because just I have a I have fond memory of uh, I love the ocean. I love the I love the water. Uh, I have a fond memory of a trip I did in Hawaii. Uh, got to the hotel, opened up my, uh, my, my, my patio door to see a humpback whale doing a splash. Go to dinner at uh, Bubba Gums. Go to Bubba Gums for supper. Look, we have a window seat. We're looking out at the ocean. And here come dolphins, and they're playing in the water in front of us. I just love all that stuff. And, you know, the volcanoes are cool to experience. And 
Yeah, the sand, the beach. I love body surfing. I, I'm not I'm not around the water enough to surf, but body surfing anybody can do. It needs a little bit of momentum and a bodyboard, and you're good to go. So that's where I would uh, definitely hit because on either side of the island, you're going to get waves. That's awesome, man. And like honestly, if I was uh, less scared of sharks, I'd uh, I'd probably <laughs> body surfing with you. But uh, thanks a lot for joining the podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, brother. See you later. Take care. Well, I wait so long for my love vibration and I'm dead.